the fourth part of this series on discipleship, we discuss the importance of laying a strong foundation in our faith and walk with God in order to become His disciples. We remind ourselves of three basic principles that will help us to lay a strong foundation. The stronger or deeper your foundation is the higher you can go in God. Let's hold our Bibles high. Let's all stand up once again and declare this out loud. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. For the last three Sundays, we've been looking at this study on discipleship. We've been studying together about what is a disciple, who is a disciple. And uh, we started by looking at um, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. If you would like to go there, Matthew 28 and verse 19, the Great Commission, and we see some truth about discipleship here. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we we derive some things from here. We see that all of us are called to be disciples. This invitation is not to join a church. It's not to join an organization, but this invitation is to follow the Lord Jesus. Amen. It's for all of us. It's to be disciples. And who is a disciple? A disciple is an ardent follower of a teaching. And not only the follower of a teaching, but a disciple closely follows the teacher himself. Not only the precepts and the principle, but the teacher, but the person from whom the principles and the precepts originate a very close follower, a very ardent follower. So all of us, the invitation is for us to be that kind of ardent followers of the Lord Jesus. And secondly, we see that the uh, disciples are made. Disciples are not born. Disciples are not born again, but disciples are made. And Matthew chapter 4, this is how Jesus said, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. Meaning, as we follow, as disciples, as we follow the Lord, as we follow him closely, as we follow his instructions, as we follow him as a person, then we are being made as disciples. There is a making process, something which is intentional. So disciples are made. 
And the third thing that we derive from here is that Jesus intends for us as disciples to go out and make disciples. Let's not stop at just getting people born again or saved, but the call is for each one of us to go out and make disciples. So those are the three key things that we saw. And we also saw, you know, how do I identify a disciple? You know, am I a disciple? How can I call myself a disciple? Okay, I go to church 52 Sundays in a year, and then if there's any other occasion, I go to church. So can I call myself a disciple? Or I'm baptized in water, can I call myself a disciple? Or I pray in the spirit, I pray in tongues, can I call myself a disciple? We see that Jesus defines who a disciple is. And we looked at some of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, he who abides in my word is a disciple. Meaning, he who stays, he who dwells in my word, in my instructions, he who continues, he is a disciple. And the Lord Jesus also said, he who abides in love is a disciple. The Lord Jesus said, you know, people will look at the love that you have for one another. And then they will say, hey, this is a disciple. Right? In fact, when you look at the book of Acts, we see that the disciples were first called Christians. People looked at the followers and then they said, hey, these are Christians. You know, today, when we fill out some application form, there's usually name, age, gender, etc. And then, you know, there's this section about faith, right? Belief. And without batting an eyelid, we sometimes write, okay, Christian or whatever. But we need to, you know, really look at our lives and say, you know, am I one? Because the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. So a disciple is one who abides in love, who follows the Lord, who remains in his word. And as a disciple, I pursue fruitfulness in life. I willingly give myself to the pruning process so that I can be fruitful, I can be a blessing to others. And I pursue that intentionally. And we also saw that uh, as a disciple, I endeavor or I desire to be like Jesus. Oh, how can I be like Jesus? Oh, that's too high a call. It's too high a limit. How can I be like him? But the invitation is for us to be like him. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is enough for a disciple to be like his master, to be like his teacher. And we see in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, Jesus saying that the one who is perfectly trained, the disciple who is perfectly trained will be like his master. So whether we like it or not, the Lord is looking to us and he's saying, hey, I want to train you so that you can be perfectly trained to be my disciple. So that you can be like him. So that you can be like me, the Lord Jesus says. He's looking to us so that we can be like him. We can be that perfect representation of him wherever we go, whatever we do. He is looking to us so that we can be trained in the school of the Holy Spirit. And as a disciple, there is this reality of carrying the cross. The cross which is a you know, place of sacrifice, which is a place of pain, a separation. And that's a reality for a disciple. We cannot gloss over it. We cannot just erase that out of the picture. But that is a reality for a disciple. And we also saw um, 
And the second part, how does one become a disciple? Jesus named the disciples. He called them so that they could be with him. And he could send them out. So the first thing is, in the disciple-making process, or for me to be a disciple, I need to be with him. I need to be with him. So I need to make every effort to spend time with him so that he can send me out. And secondly, we saw that the Lord put people in a team, at least two of them. And we see that, you know, sometimes we want to go solo, right? We want to do things on our own. It's difficult to work with people. No, they're not seeing things my way. I know this is the best way, but none of them are able to see my way. But the fact is that the early disciples had the same problem. Two of them came to Jesus and said, along with their mother and told, in fact, uh, I'm sure they must have had an argument at home, Mom, you know, please, please stay, keep out of this. But mother said, no, I'm coming, James and John. He says, Lord Jesus, you know, let them sit at your right right hand and your left. And the other disciples were very angry. You know, how, could, how could these guys, you know, we are together in this. We are on the same level. And how can you jump the gun and go and do this, James and John? Well, the Lord desires us to work as a team. There will be, you know, conflicts with regard to personality, with regard to so many things. But as iron sharpens iron, we are called to be in fellowship in the body of Christ. And we see that the Lord sent them out, thirdly, sent them out to do whatever he taught them. So whatever the Lord teaches us, it is our responsibility to go out and serve, to go out and do the things that he's called us to do. And fourthly, we saw that um, we follow God through all of life's situations. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from our experiences. And, um, and lastly, we saw that God never gives up on us just because we fail. Just because we make a mistake, God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. Now, can you turn to your neighbor and say, you know, God does not want to give up on you. That's the truth. It was true in Peter's life and it's true in our life today. Peter messed big time. Peter went and when that servant girl came and said, you were with Jesus, he said, oh, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, the Bible records, it says, Peter started cursing. Peter started cursing the same Peter who was with Jesus, who saw the miracles happen. And, you know, he served the, the, the food and he saw the food being multiplied. The same Peter is saying, I don't know this Jesus. He starts cursing vehemently and he's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And he repents as soon as the rooster crows thrice. But the Lord restores Peter. The Lord restores Peter. And he never gave up on him. And he never gives up on us. So when it comes to the disciple-making process, even as we venture out to make disciples, we follow this. And last Sunday, we looked at the growth path of the believer or the disciple. We go from being believers to becoming disciples, to becoming ministers of God, and to becoming leaders. Amen. I think the recap is longer than the message. <laughs> Here ended the recap. Today we're going to look at, you know, this uh, whole aspect of foundation. The basics. 
the thing that we are not too happy about, the thing that we are not too excited about, the foundation. What is the foundation? It's the basis on which something is built. It is the underlying base or support of the entire structure. And so also in our lives, in our walk with God, in our walk of faith with the Lord, in our journey with God, there needs to be a strong foundation. A strong foundation. Without which we will become casualties. There needs to be a strong foundation. Now the thing about foundation is, you know, it's so not glamorous. Nobody goes and says, wow, what a lovely foundation. Nobody says, I like this foundation. It's beautiful, wonderful. Nobody looks at that. Everybody looks at the building. It looks at the structure after it's come up and says, oh, that's beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. So that's the thing about foundation. But the important thing for that structure is the foundation without which we will not have that structure. And the thing is this, the second thing about foundation, it's below the surface. Nobody sees it. But it's very important. It's important to lay the foundation in our lives. Nobody sees it. It's hard work. It's not very glamorous. But the foundation is very, very important. So, uh, so we, we're just going to look at some, um, a few things and how important our foundation is. The higher we grow or the higher we go depends on the depth or the strength of our foundation. And you know, if you, there are builders here, you know that. The higher the building needs to be, the deeper or the stronger the foundation it is true in um, education as well. You know, I, if I'm fumbling with basic addition and subtraction and multiplication, forget about, you know, calculus and trigonometry and, uh, you know, all the other things, metrics that you can think about, forget it. If I'm fumbling at the basics, I need to be strong. I need to have a strong grasp of this foundation if I want to go higher up. In fact, you know, you know when we were studying in school, we had a physics teacher, and she was not a very great teacher. So we always went back and we blamed her. You know, the basics were not late. When she taught us the foundations, you know, we, it, it was not taught well. So there, therefore, you know, we are struggling now. We always went back and we said, no, our foundation was not laid right. Physics, any subject, if you want to, you know, learn a particular skill, the foundation, the basic thing, which is not so exciting, is very important. So the higher I want to go, the stronger my foundation needs to be. I need to lay a strong foundation because I need to come to that place or develop the ability to stand alone in my walk with God. You know, God desires us to live in community. There's no doubt about it, right? We need to be in fellowship with one another. And God has called us, he's put us in a body so that we can encourage others, we can receive encouragement from others. But he's put us in such a place so that we can come to a place of hearing from God. We can come to a place where 
even if that support structure is not there, we will continue being strong with God. Just think about it. Maybe some of us are studying. If there's an opportunity for you to be uprooted from here and to some campus somewhere in the world where there's a lot of partying happening, it's a whole different deal altogether. You know, would I still continue strong with God? Maybe if I'm a, you know, a, a professional, if I need to go on a short-term visit somewhere, and right now, you know, I am this red-hot, passionate, you know, Jesus-loving, Bible-spouting person, but I need to go on this short-term assignment where I don't have the support structure, and I don't have the fellowship, and if I go there, will my temperature still be red-hot? Or will it come down? Or will it go to freezing or minus? You know, and sometimes we say, brother, the weather is so, you know, it's in minus. You need to drink a bit to keep that circulation going. It's okay. You know, I'm far away from home. It's a different culture. It's a different weather here. You know, the weather is different. But, you know, will that temperature come down in our own lives? If we were to move out, so the importance of laying a strong foundation and life groups and small groups and mentors and others are there so that we can come to that place of being strong. If we are always dependent on maybe a life group or uh, others for our faith in God, then there's actually... It works to be detrimental. God puts all people, he brings people, he brings these structures in place so that we can be strong. We can move from a place of where we are to, to a place of strength, to a place of faith in God. And even if we are alone, we will still continue on with God. And the third thing is this, the importance of laying a strong foundation I need to remain strong even when times are difficult. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7 and verse 24, uh, this is how he said, he said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall. Verse 25, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew. Now two people are described here, two different uh, scenarios, two different people, but each of them was not insulated from the winds coming and blowing, from the rain beating, from the floods coming. They were not insulated. Same environment, but one stands, the other falls. One house stands. And we see that phrase, for it was founded on the rock. 
you know, when difficult times come, when there is you know, something that upsets us, some disappointments, maybe even a tragedy in life, in our life, you know, will we pull away from God? That's the question. You know, if I face this particular situation, you know, will it make me run away from God or will I run towards Him? Will I pull away from Him or will I just throw myself at Him? A strong foundation determines that. You know, in the book of James, James starts by saying, James chapter 1 and verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. And he says, for the testing of your faith produces patience. There's something that happens to you when you face these trials. You know, how can I count it all joy? Can I come to that place of counting a trial as a joy because there's something being produced in me. There's some strength being produced in me. And we, say this, we see the same thing in um, Romans chapter 5. He says, glory, for we all glory in all tribulations. How can I glory in tribulations? How can I count it all joy when I face trials and disappointments and testing times? It is when my foundation, when it's strong, when it is founded on the rock, then I can count it all joy. Then I can come to that place of saying, I will glory in this tribulation because it produces something called perseverance and character and it brings me to that place of abounding hope. You know, we can choose, we can decide and we need to be founded on the rock to remain strong in difficult times. And we need to have a strong foundation so that we are not easily swayed by winds of doctrine. So that we are not swayed by this teaching and the other. Because it sounds good. We remain, we stay the course. We remain true to the word of God. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 to 8. It says here, As you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according this is very important according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ so Paul is warning the church in Colossae and he's saying, you know, you need to be rooted in him. You need to be built up in him and established in the faith. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, according to the deceit or tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Something that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ and has the trappings of wisdom and has the trappings of you know, sound philosophy. But indeed it is not according to the principles of Christ. So I need to have a strong foundation. So that I'm not swayed this way and the other. But I will, stray, I will stay the course. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15. Says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. 
and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now children, you know, children are very intelligent, very wise. Sometimes we learn from them. But you know, when kids are small and you, they've taken hold of something which is breakable, you know, we, we try to pull it from them and they're holding on, right? And, uh, and we try to distract their attention. We'll say, you know, you look at that, you look at this, so that they lose their grip on that so we can retrieve it. Maybe they've got your phone or something and they're used to hammering it. With it. So we, or we give them something else, you know, hold this, you know, this is better. Look at the color, it's bright. Play with this. And we take it away. And, the, you know, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's saying, you know, you cannot be children tossed to and fro. Yes, I need to have childlike faith in God. But in, I need to have that strong foundation so that I will not be tossed. When people come and say, hey, you know, you take this, you, you let go of that, take this. This sounds better. There's no pain involved. There's no effort involved. You know, why don't you take this? And I cannot afford to be a child in that sense. I cannot be swayed by this and that. Because we will end up as a wreck. So, Paul warns us, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So the question is this, how do I lay a strong foundation? How do we lay this foundation? Paul writes and he says, you know, this foundation is actually Jesus himself. And strong foundations are laid by developing you know, the right spiritual habit, the right discipline. So the first thing is developing. Okay? And can we all say it together, develop. And the second thing is to be consistent in it. Let's say this together, consistent. So first thing is to develop these habits, spiritual disciplines, to put in place these disciplines in our lives. And the second thing is to be consistent, to walk consistently. Not just once in a while when I feel like it, but to walk consistently. So we can look at some things here. First and foremost, we need to be rooted in our relationship with the Lord. Being rooted in our relationship with the Lord. That's how we lay a foundation. In other words, commitment. Commitment. Committed. You know, I'm sure you, know, you encountered that word, commitment. It's got nothing to do with emotions. It's got everything to do with the truth and making a choice. And by saying, hey, I'm committed to this whether I feel like it or not. I'm committed. We need to stay committed. But we say, hey, it's a relationship. You know, how can you bring in, how can you be so technical and bring in these disciplines and habits and so on? I want to feel the love of God. Only then can I, you know, really lay this foundation and spend time and so on. But then the thing is this, commitment has nothing to do with feeling. Feelings will catch on. Feelings will catch up. 
But the first thing is to make that decision, to make that choice and say, I will be committed. John chapter 15 and verse 4, the Lord Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So I make a choice to abide in him. We make a choice to stay with him, no matter what. We make a decision. And I think, you know, I just sense that if we make that choice, that decision, and say, tell the Lord, Lord, no matter what, I'm committed. No matter what, I'm committed to you, God. There's no end to the kind of growth that we will experience in our lives. There's no end to the growth. It just takes your ceiling off. That ceiling of flesh completely taken away. Because you made that choice. You made the decision and said, I'm committed. I'm committed, oh God, no matter what. And the Lord Jesus, you know, experienced this in his ministry, John chapter 6, verses 66 to 69. When he was talking about his body, he was explaining to the people, he was explaining to the disciples that he was the bread from heaven. And he said like this, he said, and unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. You need to do that. So people said, you know, Lord, this is, this is, this is tough. This is hard to understand. And then Jesus goes on to explain, you know, the flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. So what he was saying is like, you know, my words, unless it becomes part of your system, unless you eat, unless you drink, unless I become part of your system, unless you internalize this, it's going to be tough. So, and we see that the response was this. From that time, verse 66, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They just went back. They walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. So we can sometimes, you know, come to a place of inconvenience. We, we see the, the price of that call, the price that we need to pay. It's not convenient anymore. And we come to that decision, oh no. I think it's enough. This is enough. I can't continue on. Not with that same passion. Not with that same desire. I think it's time to press pause. I think it's time to, you know, stop things. I can't continue in that same passion and same fire and same zeal. Because it's not convenient. But the fact is this, that we have the Spirit of God. You have God coming over and putting his arm around you and saying, my son, my daughter, I'm with you. I'm with you. As, as long as you make that choice, you know, don't consider the price too high to pay. I've paid the ultimate price. I'm with you. We are in this together. He says, take my yoke upon you. 
we are in this together learn from me i am with you i will encourage you i'll be your coach i'll cheer you on and you can stay the course we can stay the course what if you make that choice you know very inspiring words from the book of job job in his conversation with his friends job chapter 13 and verse 15 this is what job says job says though he slay me yet will i trust him he says though he slay me yet will i trust him i tell you you know if we are here in this place and if we make that kind of a statement and if we tell the lord lord though you slay me yet will i trust you oh there's something that's that's going to happen in our lives there's something that's going to happen and we will study the book of daniel daniel chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 nebuchadnezzar makes this gold image makes this huge image and he tells the people you bow down and you worship and here are these hebrews uh with these you know uh, names of the foreign gods abednego and shadrach and meshach they are there and they tell they have this conversation with nebuchadnezzar and then they say no we will not worship and nebuchadnezzar says okay the price for that the consequence is that you'll be thrown into the furnace and these guys say oh even if you throw us our lord will take care of it he they will you know the lord will deliver us and then they make this incredible statement and they say even if not even if that does not happen we want to tell you oh king we will not bow down we will not backtrack we will not compromise because we have made we've made up our mind you know there's something so powerful about making up your mind god will not overrule that's the thing you know he's given us this will self will this god given us the power of choice even god will not overrule if you make up your mind and how much more powerful when we make up our mind according to the word of god according to the will of god we have all power in heaven to back us up in that decision amen and even as you're sitting here and listening you know let's make that choice in our heart and say lord i will stay committed no matter what i will stay committed no matter what though you slay me yet will i trust you god where will we go you have the words of eternal life for your words are spirit and they are life if that is our foundation there's no end there's no end to how high we go in god there's no end to us being used by him to be a blessing in others lives and here comes the interesting part secondly when we are rooted in his word then comes these emotions oh we make an unemotional choice and we say i'll stay committed and as we get rooted in his word rooted meaning i draw my strength from him from his word i stay established in his word in the truth of his word rooted in his word does not mean that i read maybe chapters after chapter 
and then it adds to the database of information that I have. No, no. Rooted in the word means that that word, even if I read a, read a verse, that changes me. I allow that word to change me. I retain the truth of that word in my life. You know, I live a word that is centered around the word. I allow the word to define my life. I allow the word to dictate choice. The choices I make, the places I go to, the things that I see, I allow the word, I give permission for the word of God to influence my choices. The way I treat my children, the way I treat my parents, the way I treat my wife, my husband, the way I treat my in-laws. You know, somebody said the difference between in-laws and outlaws is outlaws are wanted. But praise God, all that changes when we live a life rooted in the word. Everything changes. We see that we are able to live in fellowship. We are able to live in love. As we let the word of God change our thinking, reform our thinking. So that is what it means to be rooted in the word of God. And uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. It says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly. Stay in you richly. You know, there's a very interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Sorry, verse 1. It says, my son, do not forget my law. Do not forget my law. Which means, you know, let your mind retain the law of God. And the second part of the verse is this. He says, let your heart keep my commands. Let your heart keep my commands. It says, do not forget my law. Yes, remember. Let it be part of your thinking. Don't forget it. Then he says, let your heart keep my commands. You know, if we let the heart, our heart keep the word of God, that means we will do the word of God. Whether people are watching or people are not watching whether I'm alone or whether I'm in the company of other believers. Let your heart keep the commandments of God. Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. And the third thing is to be established in personal worship and prayer. To have a life of personal worship and prayer. You know, it's good that we have times of corporate worship. We come together as a community, as a family, and we worship the Lord. We come together as a church to pray, to intercede. But we need to have those times of personal worship. Those times of personal worship. Just us, just you and God. And nothing else. Those times can be powerful. 
personal worship and personal prayer. And when each of us do this, when each of us, you know, go after this, when we come together as a family, it will be an overflow of the heart. Worship will be an overflow of our heart. Prayer will be an overflow of our heart. Amen. Uh, I'm always inspired by this person, Mike Bickle, because the Lord used him to start a 24-hour prayer ministry. He's the founder, director of the ministry called International House of Prayer, where the ministry is to have prayer times 24 hours. People come in shifts, come in batches. They have ongoing prayer. But Mike Bickle was not like that always. Mike Bickle loved the Lord Jesus, but he did not like to read the word. He did not like to pray. Uh, Bible study and everything was too boring. In fact, you know, he struggled with this. But during that early days when he became a believer and he was considering ministry and people told him, man, you need to have a prayer life. You need to have, you know, a prayer life, dedicated times of prayer. So he said, okay, everybody's, you know, crowding and, you know, forcing this on me. Okay, I'll have times of prayer. So he decided when he was in college, I will pray for one hour. Nine to ten is prayer time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lock myself in my room and pray. So he starts praying. Nine o'clock, locks the door, and he starts praying. God, you know, pray for this and that and the other studies and the person who's going to become my wife and football and all that. He prays, and he looks at the clock. Two whole minutes have passed by. And he says, oh God, 58 more minutes of agony. And he tells the Lord, Lord, I wish you made this more interesting. There will be more people to sign up. And he says, for the first time, he actually prayed. When he cried out to God, when he cried out to God and he said, God, this is agony. I wish this was interesting. I am bored. He actually prayed. Because he started he, he was himself. He was transparent. You know, how many of us know that you can go to God with your pain? You know, you can go to God and tell him what you are going through. If you're angry, tell the Lord. If you're bitter, tell the Lord. There's nothing. I mean, he knows it already. But when we go to him and pour out our hearts, that's prayer. And something happens when we are real with God. When we put away all this Christianese and thou, thee and all that and we go to God and say, oh God, oh God, I'm desperate for you. Something happens. There's a divine exchange. You know, those anxieties that you're pouring out, that pain that you're pouring out, you know, in its place comes the healing balm. In its place comes the peace of God. In its place comes the establishing of our heart. Another thing Mike Bickle started doing was this. He would read portions of scripture and he would struggle with it. But then he chose to make that scripture part of his dialogue with God. When he would go into the prayer closet, suppose he read Psalm 23, he would, he would read Psalm 23 and then he would talk to God with Psalm 23. He said, Lord, you are my shepherd. Oh, I thank you, God. I thank you. Your word says that I will not lack any good thing. I thank you, Lord. You are my shepherd. With you leading me, 
by the green pastures, with you, Lord, making me to lie down by the green pastures, by the still waters, I will not lack any good thing because it is you who's leading me. I thank you for this promise. I thank you that you continue to lead me. An overflow of his heart. He takes the word of God so we can take the word of God and just make it part of our conversation. Make it part of our dialogue with God. But let's allow the word to go through us and then let it just come out and let it be an overflow. So as we do this, you know, we are laying actually a strong foundation. So the question is this, you know, do I need to lay a foundation? Do I need to lay a foundation? You're saying, you know, I've built up, the structure is already there. How can I, you know, relay again? Well, the good news is, yes, we can. Yes, we can. We make that choice to be committed to God. We make that decision and say, God, no matter what, I will be committed to you, whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient. And we make that choice to say, Lord, I will be rooted in your word. I will abide in your word. I will let your word dwell in me. I will retain your word. I will think deeply the truth of your word. I will let it change my choices. I will let it change the way I live my life. I will let it change my perception on life itself. When we do that on an ongoing basis, then we are laying a strong foundation. And also when we are established in personal worship and prayer. There's no stopping how high we go in God. And God is looking to us. God is looking to us. He knows our frame. He knows who we are. He knows everything there is to know about us. And yet he's saying, you know, this is how high you can go. This is the potential that I see in you. Because it is not you, but me living in you. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. Amen. Let's close. And um, even as we do that, let's make these decisions. Oh God, this morning we come and we make that choice, Lord. We make that commitment, oh God. We make that decision to stay committed. Now can you do that in the quietness of your own heart and say, Lord, I will stay committed no matter what. I will stay committed no matter what. Although he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Oh, even if I face the fiery furnace, even if there is no deliverance, oh, yet will I trust him. Yet will I trust him. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.